welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thanks for being with us here on the program as uh, we set off on uh, an adventure in more ways than one here on the program. Every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We're also on Wednesdays for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story, and that's at 9 a.m. on this fine station. Again, streaming live at richarddugan.com. We are also podcasting these programs. They're on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations that you folks are posting to for us, and I thank you for doing that. We're now on YouTube as well, have been there for several months, uh, starting back in 2020, and uh, we've got uh, over 100 interviews already posted up there uh, from, I think it's going back as far as July. I've even found some old uh, Skype uh, videos that I found I'm putting up there as well, going back maybe a little further. So I hope that you're enjoying these, and I hope you'll subscribe to our, uh, our YouTube channel, as well as, of course, the SoundCloud channel. Got a lot of people following us there, and I greatly appreciate that. Uh, as of this conversation, and again, I always say this, um, I don't know what these numbers really mean. I've got to get somebody from SoundCloud to, to explain to me whether or not this is significant or not. Uh, but with over 600 interviews up on SoundCloud, uh, we have f- nearly 34,000 listens since January 1 of 2018. 34,000. Wow. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate that. Also, I uh, want to remind you that if you'd like to support this program financially, and uh, we can use all the help we can get, and we greatly appreciate, I really do, any support that you can give us. Uh, we have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. And also participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Spend that quiet, peaceful time in side you go within even if it's just to close your eyes for five minutes and just listen to that still small voice it's there for you uh, with you to help you uh, and uh, we encourage you to do just that our program today i think uh, i know i'm going to really enjoy it i think this is going to be a blast we have a guest on the program who is going to share with us some wonderful insights his name is michael goddard Goddard, and he is with us here on the program to talk about, quite honestly, a myriad of different things. And I'm very excited about this. Uh, He has several books out, uh, one in particular, A New Now. He also has uh, In Search of Lost Lives. It's uh, his own unique memoir uh, in which he receives over 80 past lives, among others. And then there are even more than that. And then uh, there's also Spiritual Revolution. It's It's actually a seeker's guide and i'm gonna grab a hold of that one and read it because i'm a seeker just like you i I hope that's the case and then of course bliss uh these um uh these 30 33 simple yet profound exercises reveal uh and develop uh, your spiritual core try them and you will experience bliss here and now which kind of takes us back around the circle to a new now with Michael uh, Goddard, thank you so much for joining us. Michael? Oh, we had to rejoin the meeting, so uh, can you hear me now? I hear you now, and I will just say thank you so much for joining us on the program. Yeah, thank you, Richard. I really appreciate it. 
You have quite a number of uh, books available to uh, our listeners uh, and our viewers on uh, YouTube, and uh, that's really extraordinary, rather prolific in that, from that standpoint. Um, one of the areas, of course, that you know, we want to, uh, to converse about is, uh, is this uh, fascinating, I find it fascinating, uh, issue in regards to uh, going through a process uh, that we all are are going through. I mean, it's a, it's sort of inescapable, if you will, if you know what I mean. Uh, and that has to do with uh, uh, I'd like to call it the ancient wisdom teachings in particular. But you're talking about mastering wisdom daily and achieving equal um, equilibrium. I almost said equanimity. It could be along the same lines, I suppose. And empowering your noble self. One of the things we've talked about on this program with many guests, Michael, is our divinity. Is, is, that, is that a fair word to use in the context of what we're talking about today? Michael? Michael? Hello. Michael. I'll be stepping out for a short time this afternoon at about 1.30, but I'll be back here in the two o'clock hour period. What time would you like to meet? Say about 1.30? Uh, 2.30? Question mark? 2.30? Question mark? <sighs> you, um, can I? I'm here. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, um, you you've been freezing, and then we then I've lost the meaning a couple times, which almost never happens. Huh. So that's, that's um, interesting. Yeah, I I mean I'm on Zoom all the time, but I you've uh, been freezing a number of times, and the audio goes, and then the meeting crashes. So. Huh. Hopefully now it'll be more stable. All right. Well, we'll give it a shot here, and I'll just kind of pick it up from where I uh, I left off. Yes. All right. I'll count it down in three, two, one. Michael, I wanted to ask you about uh, what I call the ancient wisdom teachings. You're talking about mastering wisdom daily and achieving equilibrium and empowerment. Uh, tell us about that. Well, a lot of people... Um, think they are their, their minds and they, they're 
ruled by their, their lower minds. So in the book, I, I really explain kind of the basis of existence that we're a, a soul that's uh, associated with a mind that's taken a physical birth. I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with the uh, quote attributed to Teilhard de Chardin that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. So I really kind of get into the nitty gritty of, of, of the nature of the mind. I described what the higher mind is, the lower mind, and the habitual mind. And a lot of people are basically run by their minds which are a slave to their senses. And so the whole idea of the book is to get you in touch with your nobler self, which is your higher mind, which is more in touch with your soul. So you can go through life easily and successfully. I mean, um, I had finished the book before COVID, but when COVID hit um, last year, people got very frantic and worrisome and it was very intense for a lot of people. I, I was very grateful that I was able to negotiate all kinds of decisions and learning how to be. And we are constantly being bombarded with all kinds of conflicting ideas and information. <clears throat> it was actually a very confusing time. Uh, I, I had quite a few friends, almost every local friend fall away. They were too overwhelmed, I guess, by their own lives. So I was, unlike some people, I was in quite a state of isolation, but I was able to rise to the occasion and actually uh, 2020 turned out to be a very rich year for me. I mm. actually enjoyed myself, although I was, my heart was breaking for what people were going through. So one thing I want to stress about the book, Richard, and you now, is that it's, it's a little challenging to convey verbally because it's a self-participatory experiential book. So you are actually engaging with your consciousness as you're reading through the book. So you, you really, to get a real experience of the book, you have to read it and experience it. Well, now you talk about how uh, we have an untapped reservoir of awareness. And you also make reference to uh, our opportunity and our chance to step into, and this is a rather big word here, uh, when you contemplate it, an omnipresent reality, which reminds me of the story in Autobiography of a Yogi, where his guru slaps him on the chest, and all of a sudden he just is aware of everything. Well, yes, I mean, with the right guru and the right slap, that can happen. <laughs> so, I mean, I've, I've heard many stories like that, real stories uh, that have come through, but most of us have to put in the work. Uh, and everybody, uh, no matter where you are in your path, I think it's important to, to honor where you are. But the thing is, we are here with a spiritual purpose. I write about in my spiritual memoir, In Search of Lost Lives, I identify many of the different spiritual purposes I had in each life. Now, you may be aware of it or you may be not, but this is a precious opportunity being alive and it's crucial that we don't waste it. I think of Earth as one of the toughest schools imaginable. It's really a challenge. Even if you're materially well provided for, you're going through 
all kinds of stuff. Everybody is suffering. The reason we're all suffering, even if we're not aware of it, is that we're separated from our source, the, the source of supreme being, which is, you can't really even describe by words. If you try to, you could call it absolute bliss and love. So all, each of us has that soul spark within us, which is pretty much dominated by the mind all the time. So in the book, I differentiate between the lower and the higher mind. And many people are, their lower minds are predominant most of the time. You know, if they're doing service, if they're being kind, it's sort of like their higher mind steps in and takes over. In my memoir, In Search of Lost Lives, I actually identify the life in which my higher mind became predominant. That was 12 lives ago when I was in Tibet. I was a very high up government official, uh, but I also came in touch with two evolved monks. And that was really the first time in my uh, many, many lives when I saw and recognized the fact that we can achieve spiritual evolution. And from that 12th life back, my spiritual evolution really uh, accelerated. How did this in this lifetime, so we'll try to keep it simple for everybody. In this lifetime, when did you become aware uh, of 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 this this vast, we'll call it omnipresent uh, um, reality of of who you are, who you really are? Uh, and again, it, we're we're spiritual beings having a human experience, which is absolutely true because we. You and I, the real us, is immortal. Right, right. Well, just to back up a bit, I right after we moved to California from Illinois, right after I turned 11, I started to confront death. I mean, physically, I would stare at myself in the mirror and tell myself, you're going to die. And I tried to imagine experiencing that. And it was such an overwhelming experience Literally at that point, I decided to devote my life to achieving immortality. And that began my search, which I won't detail. I, I do describe it uh, in the memoir. Mm -hmm. And I started meditating daily at age 19. And I think at that point, I started to experience an omnipresence. I had those experiences and I continued to search and then I began my current practice when I was 21 uh, of is bhakti and shabad yoga. That's what it's called. Bhakti is basically a Sanskrit word for devotion. And shabad is the name, of, uh, another name for the Holy Spirit, the logos, uh, the creative power of the Supreme Being. So, but also just seeing, meeting uh, what I consider fully realized souls, um, souls, you know, if you have to put them on the scale, they, they have returned their consciousness to the eternal sea of being. Having, having their presence in my life, my teacher, my guru in my life, that was an experience of omnipresence. Having the sight and the company of those saints, those masters, I would and literally lose myself, my sense of self, my individual being, and just be, you know, floating in this 
very blissful omnipresence. So that's what we're aiming for and we're working toward. But everybody, I encourage people, you know, no, judge, ju no judgments about yourself or other people. The thing I want to do is empower people to take responsibility for being a spiritual being and figure out how you want to make best use of your life. And that can be anyway. Well, I, I've often thought about the various parts that make us up. There's the physical, there's the mental, the emotional. And then, of course, the spiritual. Uh, some mm -hmm. people might even subdivide some of those as well. Uh, but to keep it simple, those four the specific categories. Is bliss considered an emotion or a state of being? That's one of the things that's kind of uh, perplexed me a little bit. Yeah, well, I, it, depending on the nature of the bliss you can experience, it can be both. I mean, you may feel you experience bliss on an emotional level, but, but true bliss is on a spiritual level. I, I mean, there, there are levels of bliss and everything's relative. Pure uh, unalloyed bliss is, is really the experience of your soul being liberated. But we have snatches of bliss. You can, I mean, you can be meditating and have the hardest meditation you can imagine fighting with your mind and then an hour later, something may catch your attention and then you're immersed in bliss. So make happen. Uh, it's sort of like uh, you can make it analogous to inspiration. You, you can't make yourself inspired. You can do things. And I do write a lot about inspiration and intuition in the book. You can do things to hopefully induce inspiration Whereas mm -hmm. for intuition, you can actually work on it. And that's something I've been attending to and working on actually since my 20s, in addition to meditating. Mm. Uh, and go ahead, Richard. Well, I'm going to share something with our listeners that uh, it's sort of behind the scenes here a little bit. And I because th I think it's important for us to talk about this, considering the fact that it's happening. And also, just as a reminder, folks, as you've heard me say many times, and this is the first time you've probably heard it, Michael, uh, the universe asks the questions, I'm just along for the ride, and that when things happen, they're happening for a reason. Whenever I've had any challenges facing getting a guest on this program or other things going on in my life, for example, uh, what that is telling me is that when I do eventually reach that place where uh, I bring the event, whatever it is, an interview or what have you, to its conclusion, it is better than it would have been if I'd had no challenges, if it had just been a nice, easy, smooth ride to that place. I say that to say this. We have been having some internet issues where uh, I have lost Michael twice in just the first 20 minutes of this program. I just had you fade out and come back again in about three, four seconds. And I want to ask you, uh, see, because I, I have a hard time uh, believing because I never really read this in the context of my metaphysical primer, Autobiography of a Yogi. I have a hard time believing that there's quote unquote evil or evil spirits. That I have heard it said that spirits, uh, that we are, we are spiritual beings, become very mischievous for whatever reason. And that what we have to share on this program, you and I, especially specifically you, of course, with all of the work that you have done, 
is so important that for some reason they feel as though they need to interfere. And you've told me, you've done numerous Zoom interviews, never had any problem until now. So I want to ask you about that in your search, as, as you talk about, especially in your memoir. What's your awareness, your understanding, your perspective on uh, the difference between uh, entities being mischievous, just as you and I, we can be mischievous in this world, in our physical bodies, as opposed to something evil that is out there trying to stop this information from being disseminated? Well, that's an interesting question. I, basically, I think anything, everything and anything exists uh, in, in creation. I, I am not recalling at this time anything evil or mischievous interfering with myself. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think um, people, basically I think people are, are, are puppets. They, they really have, they're, they're working through their, their destiny and um, basically they're reading, uh, no matter how awful it sounds, they're reading a, a script, even though they don't know it. Um, they're, they're really not free and liberated yet. So, mm -hmm. I mean, and when people are in relationships, all of a sudden you may see the dark side of your partner or the dark side of the friend may pop up and they may do something for, for no reason. And it could be mischievous, even evil. I mean, my dearest, closest friend for decades, something triggered her. I think I know what it was. It was right around the time my mother was uh, ill and dying. And her a really evil dark side came out, which shocked me and my friends. And that was the end of, of that connection. So this is why it's so important to work on your spiritual evolution and liberation. Because the mind is, basically the mind runs, the super mind, the universal mind, runs three realms of existence, the causal realm, the austral realm, and our physical realm. Mm -hmm. So the, the mind is super, super powerful. Even, even uh, people, mind and souls who, who traverse the inner regions uh, and reach very high levels, their minds can still drag them down, uh, even after they experience themselves purely soul. So basically, uh, often we don't know why things happen, why stupid decisions are made. Uh, this is basically, I look at it as a play and the script has been written by our actions in the past and our desires. I think very much who we are is defined by our desires. I write about that in the book and the section, the five aspects of who you are. Um, and something may be interfering with you. I mean, some of the evolutionary spiritual experiences I describe in In Search of Lost Lives are when a teacher I was working with between lives comes mm -hmm. in and interferes with me in a good way mm -hmm. to basically precipitate an evolutionary spiritual experience. So um, a lot of stuff happens between lives. I write a little bit about that uh, I write about my cohort of seven, which is what I always refer to the seven beings I was mainly with between lives when we were reviewing lives and working on getting better and 
learning what we had to do uh, before this life. So uh, I hope that answers your question in some way, but I, I don't think we can really know what's interfering. You know, maybe there is some glitch in one of our internet services, some interference. Mm -hmm. Could be just a, a, yeah, a material, a more of a material technical glitch as you use the term uh, in that regard. Yes. However, however, even though we may not be know why it's happening in terms of who's doing it and so on and so forth, whether it be in this world or, or other, uh, or dimensional or life between lives, that kind of thing. Uh, th there's something that tells me that for me to take the perspective that I have, you know, not trying to find out who's doing this and why, but mm -hmm. to interpret it as I've described already, okay, this just means that whatever comes out of this is going to be awesome. It's And I have to tell you that 99.9% .9 of the time, it's better than it could have been if nothing else, if, if there had been no challenges uh, or, oh, okay. or re resistance. Yeah. And now that you're describing it that way, mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've had this experience over and over again. And when somebody uh, falls out or falls down, they don't deliver and they make a mistake, it does end up being much, much better. And, and the main thing uh, in terms of your own personal responsibility is not to get judgmental, to be accepting, to be positive, mm -hmm. to be calm, to be in equilibrium, because these kind of things, these failures, which happen all the time, can really set some people off. They can, they can let loose with a lot of anger. So I just say, thank you, this is what happened. So I, particularly during this media tour, this has happened a lot where something has uh, not worked out and then it's been turned around and become way better. You know, we've had a much longer interview. We've established a, a greater connection and commitment to come back. So I do I identify with the way you described it just now. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Yeah. I, and, and I have to tell you that, that uh, it, it's been extraordinary. And I, I sometimes my guests, you know, they will feel very frustrated. And I say, hey, no, it's okay. I want you just to relax. We will get this interview in. But what this means is when we do, uh, it's really, we're going to really hit some really good stuff. And I really feel strongly about that. We're talking with Michael Goddard. He has a number of books uh, available for you at his website. Uh, he has, uh, he has authored uh, a number of books, acclaimed books about spirituality, reincarnation, mind and soul, spiritual teaching, love and truth. Uh, one of the books is Bliss. Another one, of course, is Spiritual Revolution, his memoir, In Search of Lost Lives. We're going to jump into that in just a moment. And then, of course, the, the latest work, A New Now. Uh, and we hope that you will pick up a, a copy of his work because it just the, the information that you can uh, garner from our guests is uh, whether you agree or disagree is irrelevant. What we ask you to do is consider the possibility. And we're talking, of course, about mastering wisdom daily through this work, achieving equilibrium, and empowering your noble self. Before we jump into uh, past lives and so forth, because I want to talk about that, but I want to talk about, as I sort of alluded to at the front end of the program, our noble self. 
what uh, what does that mean to you? Well, that means to, well, it, it's our our self, which is really more in touch with the soul, with with your higher mind uh, being predominant. It's the part of you that wants to be of service, that wants to find a, a higher love and evolve spiritually, and. Uh, being your noble self, you're in equilibrium. Things can happen, and you're detached. You don't you don't fall apart. You don't you don't lose it. Mm-hmm. It's um, all the wisdoms come naturally. In the book, uh, I, there are 33 wisdoms which I identify. 33 is basically the master of master numbers, and those are uh, the 11 loving wisdoms, the 11 guiding wisdoms in the 11 evolutionary wisdoms. So when you're your nobler self, you, are, you have a certain command of these 33 wisdoms and you're advancing through them. Uh, and also you have, you can gain in the book, uh, the 10 keys to achieving equilibrium. And in each of these chapters, I describe multiple ways to teach yourself, to train yourself interactively. Uh, I really put the onus of responsibility on, on the reader, Richard, uh, because, you know, we're, we're not cars that we're, in which we can drop ourselves off for a 30K service at our dealer. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just not going to happen that way. Yeah. You, you've got to take responsibility for your journey. And I know a lot of your listeners are, are seekers. They're seekers after truth. Until we become the truth, we're seekers, and they've read a lot, they've gone to seminars, they've listened to podcasts, and the thing is you can read the most beautiful, inspiring, and practical book, and maybe take away one or two or three things, and then the next week you have no recall, at least I don't, of what I've read. And because of that, what I've done is incorporate a section on the journey journal, and this is the means for getting the most value of the book out of the book and for empowering you on your spiritual journey. <clears throat> and you can actually download uh, a word file of the journey journal on my website, which is goddard.com, spelled God, G-O-D and Dart, another D, A-R-T for Tom. And it's just a word file you can download. And it's something for you to keep track of what you're doing, what you're feeling, what your hopes and inspirations are, and you can date your entries. So you can go back and see what you wanted to achieve, what your state of mind is. And you can organize it any way you want. But what I do have is a template of the very complete table of contents of the book with all the many sections, you know, all the different wisdoms, the equilibriums, the sources of wisdom, that is an important chapter when I go through the five uh, sources of wisdom. So I encourage people, uh, if you're just at all curious, to go and download the journey journal. And that may get you started on the most wonderful journey you can imagine. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating the way you describe this, uh, your, your process. Uh, I just wonder sometimes if even... Even if, as you say, you read the book and then, you know, a few days later, you, what, what did, I, did I read that? I can't remember now. And not so much to that degree, but uh, I, I like to, to coin the word from a book I read. Uh, it took me a long time to read this book because uh, when I first bought it, I mean, it was, a th- it was paperback. 
but it was like, uh, I don't know, an inch and a half, it seemed like, uh, thick. It's a thick book. It was called Stranger in a Strange Land. And finally, oh. I, I got it on Audible, and I listened to it over and over again. Now, I'll be quite honest with you, and I'm not going to spoil it. All I'm going to tell you is I loved the story. I thought it was great. I hated the ending. I'm saying, you can't do this, and I'm not going to spoil it for anybody who hasn't read it yet. But there was one word that I took away from that book that I, I really try to, to use and, and to uh, use as a verb in my life, and that is to grok. And I interpret that or define that as to assimilate into every subatomic particle of my being. I have to wonder if as you are reading, there isn't some level of assimilation in you where, okay, your mind, your ego-centered personality mind, the, the monkey mind, I guess we can say too, may not remember, but it's in there because you've read it. Because as, they, as the old saying goes, uh, you can't unread what you've read. You can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unhear what you've heard kind of thing. Well, when, when you were talking about that, Richard, I got really good goosebumps because that's one of my favorite, most favorite novels of all time. Oh, wow. I read, that, I read the novel Stranger in a Strange Land when I was 16, and we drove down from Marin County to, guess where, Santa Barbara, <laughs> where you are. And I just, uh, I had a very, very challenging family, to put it mildly, but I just escaped in the book. And Grok was really a familiar word in my vocabulary for years. And I always feel so good when I hear people use the word Grok, uh, which, you know, you can't really define. It's like to get it, to assimilate it, to absorb everything, mm -hmm. to know. I, th I think Grok uh, might be a, another synonym for to know, which is a very important part of my discussion in the new now. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I, I do agree that there is some part of you that is assimilating. I mean, I, it's always a challenge for me to do interviews because I'm a writer and I work word by word. And it's like, when I picked up my book uh, again, uh, to start to look at it before the interviews, it was like, did I write this? I don't have any idea, <laughs> any recall. How on earth did I do it? I'm, I'm always a little anxious before interviews. It's like, I don't know what I wrote in the book. I'm not sure I can answer any of these questions. Uh, my higher spirit will just have to come through. But there is some part of us that, that uh, assimilates when we, we we read and we, we listen, and there's uh, some higher recall. Some people have, we're all advanced in different ways. I mean, some people come in with photographic memories. I mean, like, I think Mozart is always such a great example. Mm. I mean, he didn't come in with a tabula rasa, blank slate, and just because he was living in Austria at that time, he was a genius composer uh, and musician. Mm -hmm. No, I'm sure he was, uh, First of all, he probably formed the desires in prior lives, and he probably did a lot of preparation between lives, and he was given just the right circumstances, and even having difficult, a difficult father or difficult circumstances, that was all part of, of his, his play at that time when he, when he was Mozart. Mm -hmm. Who knows who he is now or where he is now? So yeah. um, 
we only know, we only kind of know what's going on uh, at the moment. It's, it's really kind of, it seems unfair that we're in, in such darkness, but we're here to gain light and to gain knowledge and to begin to grok existence. And that's my whole goal is to help people grok who they are and where they're going. I, I love it when when we incorporate these these wonderful words, uh, I, and of course I also loved the audible. That was the one thing that helped me get through the book. But I had the print version uh, that was very difficult for me to read because I have to hold the book with one hand and use my magnifying glass with the other. Although now I have visors with magnifiers on them, but when I got the mm-hmm. audible, the, the the reader, the narrator they selected just did the greatest voices throughout the whole program. Uh, by the and, and of course, by the same token, I've always loved audibles before they were called audibles, because as a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s, I was listening to talking books for the uh, talking books and recordings for the blind because I was legally blind and I was a client thereof. So, uh, you know, this was, you know, uh, audibles. Pfft, that's oh, come on. Go, this goes way back, you know, when, when we first started recording stuff. And I've even recorded a few books, not that I've written, but for my first wife, who was totally blind. And there's just something about that. You just have a lot of fun with it. Um, the, the, the process, I'm curious, uh, a matter of fact, let me, before I dive off of that uh, board yet, is your, are, are any of your books yet in audible format? No, uh, not yet. That's a project I hope, hope to get to. Soon. Okay. Because well, I've had a num- number of requests. Yeah. Well, you and I may need to talk because I also produce audibles, oh. audiobooks. Yes. Yeah. So, so that would be a lot of fun to uh, to play around with, and uh, maybe we can uh, make something happen there. We're talking with Michael yeah. uh, Michael Goddard and uh, Mike and Goddard dot com. G O D D A R T dot com is the website where you can find out more about. Michael and uh, the the number of books that he's written, articles, and you can also get to that um, uh, that uh, uh, journey journal. Uh, I just downloaded it. As a matter of fact, I haven't had a chance to open it yet, but I just downloaded it along with two other PDFs uh, of a couple of articles that you've written. Uh, and uh, I just find all of this fascinating. Is there a particular, a particular, how do I put this? Um, philosophy that appeals to your soul, say, more than any other, uh, especially having discovered the, what did you say it was, how many different lives, human lives that you've already discovered, not to mention the the lives that you uh, came into this world as an animal? Well, I recovered 71 human lives, which were necessary, I feel, for the book, and along with that, 17 animal lives, but I did recover the total number of human lives and I came through with absolute definiteness, and that was 4,137. And wow. <laughs> uh, and I actually, this may be very far out for some listeners, but uh, I, I do include lives on other planets. This is my third planet. Uh, the first two planets were more evolved spiritually, not technologically. So Earth is like for me, it's like the hardest uh, playground in school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, that's what I've heard. I've heard that this this is a tough place. Yeah, very very tough. And I may have forgotten your your question. Um, 
you're asking me about how, how many lives are we? Well, not so much how many uh, lives per se, but the particular philosophy. Oh, philosophy, right. Yeah. Yeah, it depends how you um, define uh, philosophy. I mean, mm -hmm. a philosopher is a lover of wisdom. And that's really what my book tries to do is to help people support them in becoming their own philosopher, a lover of wisdom who who lives through wisdom, so, because that way they can find the, the pathway to becoming their authentic self. But if you're talking about a particular philosophy, like a philosopher who's written about different things, you know, mm -hmm. like Kant or, mm -hmm. or whatever, I yep. mean, one of my key past lives, which resonates very much with my life today, I was a Greek philosopher, actually. Mm. And I wrote uh, four scrolls uh, and had them reproduced. Uh, so that's a life that resonates with me very much today. But if you ask me what my philosophy is, I would say it's mysticism, which is not a philosophy. Mysticism is purely experiential. You don't, you don't come to truth by thinking, by reasoning. You come to it through direct perception, through experience, through automatic knowing. I mean, I'm sure most listeners can identify Tom. This is what you can do. This is, this is what's right. So uh, becoming, empowering your nobler self is really uh, a bit of a course in, in mysticism. It's rising, raising your consciousness so you can act automatically, uh, sleekly, smoothly, to know how to be and what to do moment to moment without cogitating over it, without pull, pulling out a book on philosophy and consulting it. Mm -hmm. uh, if people want to have a spiritual foundation, uh, my book, Spiritual Revolution, is a great place to turn to. Actually, a leading um, Australian bookshop uh, soon after it was published, named as one of the 10 greatest metaphysical books uh, ever written. Mm. So for just having, and that was just a beautiful honor, but for really establishing a spiritual foundation, I would recommend uh, Spiritual Revolution. It has all the principles of spirituality. So it's not so much a philosophy, although you can become, you can become wiser and better serve yourself by reading it and acting on it. Mm. I, I don't know about you, but um, I, of course, uh, was born and raised into uh, Roman Catholicism. Mm -hmm. uh, I was curious, even at a young age, about uh, other philosophies or religions, if you will. We grew up next door to a family of Mormons, which was a rather interesting uh, scenario but I didn't realize that it was interesting until after I started working for the Christian radio station in Phoenix, Arizona, when I found out that there was this uh, uh, tension between Catholicism and Mormonism uh, and <laughs> that apparently uh, the Mormons taught back then, at least, uh, that uh, uh, Catholicism, the Catholic Church, was the whore of Babylon. I thought when I when I heard that, I'm going. Really? Because our families got along really well. We all played together and had a good time. You know, I don't know what the problem is. Uh, you know, maybe that's what they need to do is go back to childhood. But I've, I've been studying so many different ones. I'm still curious about so many others. But I've never found 
one individual personality uh, to follow. When I was at the Christian station, I was chatting with someone about, uh, you know, finding Jesus. And, and uh, uh, I made the comment, uh, you know, that, yeah, I, I, I found Jesus. I'm on, I'm on my search. And they said, well, once you find Jesus, your search is over. And, and I don't know, it must have come from my higher self or something, because I said, no. Once I find Jesus, my search has just begun. And I firmly believe that. And the Baha'is, of which I was a member of for about a year and a half back in the early 90s, I love the phrase, uh, if you accept one of the messengers of God, you accept them all. If you reject one of the messengers of God, you reject them all. And I have to tell you, I thought that was really profound. I, I, just, I just thought it was great to hear. Are your thoughts? Well, I, yeah, I love the quote from the Baha'is. Uh, one of our closest families were Baha'is. Uh, we were surrounded by, by Catholics. Uh, we were not Christian. Um, my parents were, um, I would say, kind of lapsed uh, Jews. And I let go of that religion when I uh, started my search at age 11. So, um, I mean, if you want to talk about Jesus, it depends what finding Jesus, how that's defined. Right. If it's, if it's the Christ consciousness, it's one thing. If it's the actual person, that's another thing. If you think you're following the person who lived uh, over 2,000 years ago, um, how do you know? I mean, you, you would actually have to meet Jesus uh, if you could, mm -hmm. you know, I can't say exactly where he is. I, I have heard stories which are really, really quite fascinating. Uh, I don't know if we want to get into it on the program today. Oh, we certainly but, could, but go um, ahead, continue. But a lot of these exalted beings uh, have not merged back yet uh, into the supreme ocean of bliss. And if you can ascend to the higher regions, which were pretty unaware of unless uh, we're meditating and you go with them, um, you can actually meet them. And I've heard many true stories of people who've met exalted beings within. So uh, let me just explain for a moment what within means because mm -hmm. that may be confusing to people. Yes. Um, we have, well, first of all, we're a collection of energetic bodies. I'm sure most of the listeners have heard about chakras. But in my book, I go through the different energetic bodies and identify several that I, I don't think have been written about. But we have an energetic aperture uh, at our eye center. And it's basically, it's where you're pulled, pulled through when you die, when you go, you're, you're pulled up through the eye center. And if the thing is, you can experience death while living by collecting your, your consciousness concentrating at your eye center to pierce that energetically and go up to your third eye. And from there, you can, you can begin to explore the inner realms, which are of a much higher frequency and subtle energy than the physical realm. There is a degree of matter like in the astral plane. I mean, for ease of discussion, we have the physical world, we have the astral realm, which consists 
of vast, vast, vast universes. And above that is the causal realm. And as you go up in these grand divisions of existence, you have less and less material of matter and more mind and more spirit. And ultimately you can go beyond mind where it's just spirit. So that in a very short capsule is kind of a rundown on going within and the inner realms. So uh, I've, I mean, I've heard stories of those who've gone within and, and seen uh, higher beings mm. uh, who were on earth, uh, who are historical figures. Yeah. I actually did a search just to touch on this for the moment anyway about Jesus. I did a search. And now I remember, of course, according to the Bible and the New Testament, uh, that uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph uh, <clears throat> are um, going to Bethlehem exclusively for the purpose of being counted to, to uh, be a part of the census. But they were never counted because Herod, of course, passed the edict, kill all of the children under two years of age. They hightailed it out of there. So they were never counted. So there is no record of them in the census. And so I, I thought, wait a minute, you, you're telling me that there's absolutely no physical record beyond the Bible. And of course, I did some searching and I found out, well, there's reference, but it's about 100 years later uh, by, by, I think it was uh, Josephus, uh, who makes reference to uh, the personage of. But he wasn't alive when Jesus was walking the earth, if, if, it, that's, if that's the case. And there are people who will, uh, there's, a, there's the old saying, I, hey, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And of course, it's in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where uh, that kind of statement is made. Okay, I get you. But blessed are those who believe and don't see. And so, you know, I will, I will temper my curiosity about his actual physical existence that I can't seem to verify uh, by some kind of primary source record going back 2000 years uh, by saying that obviously he had to have had some influence. And then do you remember, I, I, and again, I don't want to get bogged down in, in historical facts and things of this nature, because you don't really have that when you're talking about the spirit, when you're talking metaphysics, it is what it is. It's, it's not based in, in, in flesh and blood or physical uh, material, anything. Uh, but I'm just curious, are you familiar with, uh, I, I'd read also an article just recently about how there was a propaganda war in the second and third centuries uh, between the church and, I guess to better, to put it in the best ways, the anti-church, of so, uh, so to speak, or those people who, they did not agree with uh, the church, uh, you know, as it were, and they, they kind of, they fought against it, so to speak, you know what I'm saying? And yes. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I, I've heard of that. And, um, you know, I know that some of the Gospels were suppressed and then um, later uh, discovered. But the fact is, um, he's not our contemporary. Mm -hmm. And you, he, uh, there are, the Bible is an absolutely rich source of spirituality. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact is, uh, Jesus himself did not write it. I think you need uh, realize soul person alive now to really explain the bible it all is true uh, mysticism yeah. so the thing is of uh, great great uh, souls come 
and they give their teachings to their disciples, which Jesus had, and then they leave, and then religions form in their wake. And because people who are not uh, fully realized start to run the religions, uh, you can have disagreements and splinter groups. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all kinds of all kinds of religions have competing factions. Yeah. So religion actually comes, the word comes from the Latin religare, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, uh -huh. which means to bind back to God, to return. So that's why rather than uh, religion, I was just uh, so lucky in grace to let go of mine yeah. and to, to follow, to search for a path of, of mysticism. I always found it a bit, I want to say contradictory that, and this is just my, this is kind of my view of it all, uh, contradictory that uh, there are uh, a myriad of different foods that we can eat, books we can read, educational endeavors that we can take on, careers that we can take on, things that we can drink, people that we can meet and associate with, and of course the list goes on. And yet there's only one path to God. And from my standpoint, that just didn't make any logical sense. Well, well, there are two, two things that come to mind. Um, well, I, I think there are many paths to God. And mm -hmm. you really, the thing is to find what, what calls to you now, uh, what path calls to you, because we're all on our own distinctive individual journey. And that's why, I mean, you never want to judge yourself or other people. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people have uh, inverted egos or they have uh, a certain kind of, um, I, well, not humility so much as they don't trust themselves. So they, mm -hmm. they take on what other people tell them to take on. They'll take on different religions or beliefs, which is making it easy. Uh, I just want to empower people to take responsibility for their own search. I mean, you have not found that exalted physical being yet. And that may be true for the rest of your life. Now, uh, decades after I was initiated onto my current path, a great friend of mine uh, became interested in, and came on the same meditation path. But she kind of resented me uh, because I <laughs> came on the path so early uh, and she was just doing it in her like mid to late 40s. And I don't know if she's read uh, In Search of Lost Lives, but now if I were to see her, I would say, hold on a minute. I, I was searching for several lives devotedly before this life. I came into this life all set up to go at an early age. That's when I was meant to be. I mean, there are people who may come on a spiritual path when they're 92 mm. and have enormous spiritual progress yeah. that is just waiting to happen. We, you know, we shouldn't even second guess, you know, wh where we are at, where other people are at. Right. The whole idea of a new now is to create an omnipresent present where you are making the right thoughts, decisions, actions, moment to moment that advance you on your distinctive particular path, ideally toward uh, God or whatever you want to call. I don't, I actually give alternative names for God in the book. And the one that resonates with me is love source joined as one word with the S 
capitalized. So mm -hmm. it's a very, the whole book is very equal opportunity is to choose what you want to call your higher consciousness or a higher power. Yeah. And of course, if people choose to follow a particular individual, that, that's their choice. I just never found one. And I never felt necessarily badly about not having done that. It just, it just never appealed to me because it was, from my perspective, maybe it was one of those things where, well, but if I choose one, then I end up having to not deal with any of the others. And, you know, I'm interested. We, we talk quite often on this program about how we place this, put out this smorgasbord of ID 